0: Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, with my wife, Laura, and we've got a great program for you today. In fact, this book and this author was recommended to us on our very first program by our friend Cindy Beal. It's Dr. Neil T. Anderson talking about his book, The Bondage Breaker, Overcoming Negative Thoughts, Irrational Feelings, and Habitual Sins. I'm telling you, we loved this book, and Laura and I absolutely adored this interview. We learned so much from Dr. Anderson. He shared so much of his wisdom with us, and we appreciate it greatly. He really does talk a lot about our identity in Christ and how to instill this in our kids and our spouses. And Laura and I have been putting that to work in our lives, and it really has made a difference. I can't wait for you to hear Dr. Anderson. Before we get to him, text the word REBEL to 444999 to sign up for our text alerts and our newsletter. Uh, it lets you know when we're doing our Facebook Live videos, and those happen every Monday and Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash jryan dobson for news politics and current events these are growing every single week and i'd love to see you there without any further ado let's get to dr neil t anderson talking about the bondage breaker on today's edition of rebel parenting Neil, our very first broadcast was with Cindy Beal, and we were asking her, you know, do you know anybody that, uh, what are great resources for Rebel Parents? And the first one she mentioned was your book, The Bondage Breaker, and so we really appreciate you coming on Rebel Parenting today. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Um, The subtitle of your book is Overcoming Negative Thoughts, Irrational Feelings, and Habitual Sins. Uh, The Beals recommended this book because we talk about pornography a lot and pornography addiction on this program or sexual addiction, too. And we also talk about the negative thoughts and the irrational feelings. Uh, One of our mantras we say at Rebel Parenting is the loudest voice in a woman's head is the one saying she's doing a bad job. And we're trying to combat that and overcome it. In your work, I mean, this book is just revolutionizing people how did you start thinking about the negative thoughts and the irrational feelings and how did you start helping people deal with them?
1: Well, uh, to make a long story short, um, I was kind of the classic all American boy. I, mean, <laughs> I grew up in the cornfields of Minnesota and uh, walked walk mile out of the country school and, and, uh, went on to uh, become an aerospace engineer. I was so left brained at one time, my head tilted to the side. <laughs> and, um, I, um, you know, I, I, I'd gone to church all my life, but I didn't really come to Christ until I was in my 20s. And I always felt like, oh, my gosh, you know, I missed the real thing. If you'd asked me during that time, was I a believer? I would have said, sure, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's never American kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and from there, you know, God called me into ministry. And then I started to deal with people in my church. And all honesty, I you know, re- deep in my heart, I had this belief that Christ was the answer and truth who set people free. But in a lot of ways, I just didn't see it. I mean, I I saw people come to Christ. I Mm -hmm. saw some change there, but I also seen them struggle with the same old issues.
0: Neil, I think everybody feels that way. I think people in church and especially outside the church are like, listen, Christians are no different from everybody else. We all struggle with the exact same things. And it does feel like we say Jesus is the answer and... Uh, you know, we dive into our faith, and we still struggle with these issues. I completely agree.
1: Well, and then where's the new creation in Christ? Mm-hmm, where's yeah. the old things that passed away? Where's the fact that I'm no longer in Adam, but I'm in, the tra- I mean, I'm in Christ? Where's the fact that I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness mm. into the kingdom of God's beloved Son? Let me, let me kind of explain what I came into, because when I left the, sem- uh, the pastor to teach a seminary, I, I went there to be honest with you, and in hindsight, it was more true than I realized at the time. Uh, more for my own benefit than I think the students' benefit at first. I mean, I, uh, I just didn't see what the New Testament seemed to be offering to us, and why? Mm. why? Why aren't we seeing, you know, this brand new creation in Christ kind of a thing? So I started this class, and I went through two major paradigm shifts myself. And the first one, was, was kind of more theological, but it was like in 1980s, way back then, yeah. it was almost like scales fell off my eyes and I realized, well, I'm a child of God. I'm in Christ. I mean, I knew it theologically, but, I, but the sense of Abba Father, and it, it was just an amazing thing. I said, well, how could I go all the way through seminary and miss this core essential truth? And to this day, every struggling Christian I've dealt with, uh, has the same problem. None of them know who they are in Christ. Mm. Now, if the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit, we're children of God, why aren't we sensing that? Mm. And I I struggled with that because I thought, okay, do you grow into this awareness? Which seemed to be kind of my experience. But as I searched Scripture, I said, no, this should be foundational. You have to be mm. firmly rooted in Christ. And uh, so then why aren't we experiencing that? Well, then God started to send me all these hurting people. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: Primarily because I was Free. You know, I didn't charge for counseling. Still don't to this day. And, um, and uh, then I would get stuck. I mean, I would just, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I know God knows the answer. If you're willing to hang with me here, we're going to search scripture, do whatever we have to. And, uh, and then I went through the hugest paradigm shift in my life when I started to pray and ask God for wisdom so I could tell that person or, you know, whatever. I started to realize I was acting like a medium. I was asking God to tell me so I could tell them, why don't I have them pray? And my whole ministry almost did a 180 overnight. And, um, and that was huge. But, but getting right to your point, people started to tell me what was going on in their minds. I mean, you know, in hindsight, that was kind of a miraculous thing in a way because people don't divulge that.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, uh, I would had one gal, I think the, the first thing that, that, that really kind of pricked my interest was a gal called me said, I just have a terrible time coming to see you. I said, why? Well, I'll get in my car and all of a sudden I have this thought, kind of overwhelming, he can't help you, this won't do any good, so I turn around and go back. Well, yeah, I do, I want to, then she'll go back and forth. And I started to ask people, you may have a hard time getting here.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> and, right.
1: Uh, and, uh, and then I kind of realized, almost across the board, almost nobody out there will go see a pastor or counselor and divulge that, you know, the kind of things that are going on in their mind. I mean, some will, but usually it you know, right. takes a kind of an extreme thing to reveal that. That's right. And or it takes a big, laughing. giant
0: breakdown, you know, you've, you got caught cheating, yeah. or, or your wife caught porn on your computer, or something, big breakdown, then you do, but just that underlying, I don't like the situation I'm in, I'm unhappy with my life, I seem to have the things that would make me happy, and it's not making me happy, to then decide to find a stranger that you hope will have answers, and then tell yeah. them how terrible you feel, <laughs> that's really difficult.
1: It is, and most people don't do it. Yeah. And uh, I used to ask the question around the around the globe, actually. I would say, how many here are willing to um, uh, disclose every piece of dirty laundry and everything that you're thinking in your mind to another individual just for the purpose of sharing it? Of course, you know, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Occasionally you have some four-year-old person, raise your hand, yeah, I will. You know? <laughs> right. And you just shut up. I'm, you yeah. don't really Anyway, um, and uh, then I would ask the question, how many would be willing to share there's troubles in their lives to gain some understanding, some explanation as to why they're all screwed up. Mm. And you get the most interesting response. So, you know, kind of a look around a little bit, raise your hand halfway, but most won't raise their hand then. How many would be willing to share all the dirt in their life for the purpose of resolving it?
0: Mm. Almost everybody
1: raises their hand. For
2: That's sure. right. And
1: uh, and I said, now, why aren't we there? I, I mean, I, I could talk two programs on this issue right here alone, to be honest yeah. with you. But every person that I sit down with before I lead him through our steps to freedom, when I hear this story I said, Would you like to resolve this? Nobody to this day has ever said no. <laughs>
2: right. No, I, I want to keep my per- junk. Yeah.
1: <laughs> with your permission then, I'd like to lead you through these steps to freedom. Now what's going to happen here today is not what I do, it's what you do. And um and uh, this is an encounter with God, this is what this is. And I'm just a facilitator. And um what came out of this was was uh I mean in a lot of ways, I suppose, a whole different way of looking at terms of how we do ministry, but the, the way I framed that in my own mind, is still do to this day, I said, I said, when I sit down with another individual, there's never two people there. God is always there. God is always present. And there's a role that God, and only God, can play in that person's life. If I try to play it, I'll screw it up every time. And I said, think of it like a triangle. And God is at the top. and uh, And the two bottom corners are me. I'm the encourager, and you're the inquirer. You're coming to talk with me. Now, every side of that triangle is a relationship. And uh, the most important one is my own personal relationship with God. That's critical for me. That's where I have to begin right there. Mm -hmm. Clean up my own house first kind of a thing. Now, it's very important how I relate to the other person. Now, think about this, because we've borrowed so much from the secular world. They don't have a triangle. All they've got is me and you. And, uh, and you can learn some things from them. You don't want to be a rescuer and, you know, uh, uh, codependent all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm, I said. Mm-hmm. But, but their line essentially is flat. There is no God in it. Now, think of the triangle, because if I've got a right relationship with this person, we've developed a trusting relationship, I'm, I'm doing the kindly thing on their behalf, whatever else. What am I actually trying to accomplish? I'm trying to help this person repair their relationship with God. Our ministry essentially is reconciliation Mm. to remove the barriers to their intimacy with god uh we're all in this mess because of the fall and god has no plan b there's only one answer and that's to repent and believe the gospel and get back into a righteous relationship with god Mm. and uh and so you know essentially what i ended up with after all those years was a ministry of reconciliation Mm -hmm. now the reason it works well is because ask yourself the question think of the triangle again who is responsible for what? Now, the moment I try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in that person's life, is that going to work? No. <laughs> no. We say Did that all the time. Did you work in your marriage? Did it work trying to raise your children? <laughs> nope. No. And the answer is no. And uh, I said, does it work? If, okay, you won't decide, so I'll decide for you. I'll assume responsibility for you. I said, no, that doesn't work either. And um, so when you get down to... Answering that question, if we found the right biblical balance by who's responsible for what, it would literally change our ministries, discipleship mm-hmm. and counseling, I believe, overnight. And I've seen it. I've seen it around the world. And I said, but we've left God out of the process. And so uh, the key turning point for me was, was I said, why don't I have them pray? Rather than me do their praying for them, have them pray. I mean, consider the passage in James. Let any of you are suffering, let him pray. That's where it begins. I said, why? Because I can't do your praying for you. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I believe in intercessory prayer, totally. but I cannot do your praying. I can pray for you, but I can't do your praying for you. It's, it's like a, a relationship that I have with my father and a father-child relationship, which every Christian has. I said, but suppose you're a good parent and you've got two boys and the younger brother's always asking the older brother, go ask dad if I can go to the movies. I mm-hmm. have 10 bucks. Now, you're a good parent. Would you accept that? No. But we're doing it yep. in our churches That's all right. the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, uh, no, a good parent would go back and say, tell your brother to come in here himself. And, mm. uh, but we're bypassing that. Mm. And so when I help this person essentially connect with God, then it takes me out of the whole role. I don't point out people's sins in people's lives. <laughs> I'm just acting as a facilitator of a process. Yeah. And watch what happens. Now, what I've discovered over the years is that when you allow God to be the convictor of sins, when you let him be the wonderful counselor, all this stuff services. People don't lie to God. They may That's try right. to con you, but they know they, they can't con God.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so
1: when God is brought into the picture like that, all this stuff surfaces. I, one of the most common things that we hear, I mean, around the globe, I've never shared this with anybody, yeah. ever, for. Mm. And you think, well, you're a wonderful country It has nothing to do with me, actually. Mm. Well, very little. Or any of our people. But they're not sharing it uh, just to tell me so I can tell them how they're screwed up. Yeah. They're sharing it to resolve it. It's coming out in the process of resolution. Mm-hmm. They're repenting, essentially. And, th- and that brings back the whole thing. What is repentance? It's literally a change of mind. Now, where is this battle? It's all in the mind. Yeah. And, um, and so... You know, we don't know this because I can't read your mind. You can't read mine. And very few people are willing to disclose that to you. So what they'll do is they'll say, you know, my dad raped me or this and this. And they'll tell you what happened to them. And they may tell you how upset they are or anxious or hurt or abused or whatever else. But rarely will they tell you what's going on inside. Mm. And, uh, you know, only if they extremely trust you. But if they share it with you. And you're going to respond as the most Westerners would, time for medication, yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, or slap a label on you, you know right. you're hearing voices,, yep. so you're schizophrenic.
0: Yeah. We're not a believer in that, Neil we just aren't here We are following you locks you just in in lock and step on this um. You know, it brought to mind, there was a dad I was working with, and he was having problems with his son, and he would always tell me how great his son is. He was so proud of him, and the accomplishments he was making, and how hard he was trying, and he would just tell me the greatest things, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And one day, it just hit me. I said, hey, do you ever tell your son these things? And he goes, what? I said, do you, you, know, you tell me about all the things your son does. I mean, I could list 100 things he's done in the last two years. Do you tell him that? And it just, he goes, well, I'm sure he knows it. And that changed their relationship. (laughs) He started talking directly to his son saying, I'm so proud of you. The thing you did this weekend and that sports, you know, the team that you were on, all those things, it changed it so much. Neil, I want to go back to one of the early things that you talked about. You talked about being a new creation. How did you make it all the way through seminary and not understand that? And if you went through seminary and didn't understand it, how, I mean, on earth, we're going through churches we're sitting there every sunday and we're not becoming the new creation what's what's missing what what are we not teaching i mean i'm looking at my kids and they are just beautiful creations in jesus and i want them to know it what am i missing what am i not saying or doing or telling them
1: well that was that was what i really struggled with when i was still teaching i taught 10 years at Talbot School of Theology and uh and i said why don't we know this? Why doesn't every Christian have that sense of Abba, Father? Why, why, yeah. Don't, yeah. why don't we know who we are kind mm-hmm. of thing? I said, well, partly, if you've never been taught that, truth can't set you free if you don't know the truth. And so that's, that's part of it. In fact, most of our people have been sitting in our churches. You know, after all, we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. That is categorically not true. There is nowhere in the epistles, anywhere in Paul's instructions, that identifies a believer um, by who they were in Adam. Yeah. In fact, he identifies no man according to the flesh. We are, we are everywhere you read. We, we're children of God. We're saints. We're in Christ. We're in the Beloved. Four, six chapters of Ephesians, there are 40 prepositional phrases that were in Christ or in Him or in the Beloved. And so I put together this little list of who we are in Christ and, and showing how that essentially meets your needs of, of identity, acceptance, security, and significance. And it's only there that you really find that—not in making a name for yourself, but discovering who you are. As many as received them to let me give you the right to children of God. So, why don't, why don't we everybody know that? It's, it, this is not a peripheral thing; it's core Christianity. Right. It's being firmly rooted in Christ, and yet they don't know it, and they just accept this. Well, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, what do sinners do? Sin. <laughs> <They> sin. <laughs> That's right. You, you know, we 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 almost insist on on helping you realize you are a. Sinner, and uh but we expect you to act like a saint right that's like telling my dog you're really cat and if you don't meal like one i ain't going to feed you the poor thing would snarf himself to death trying to get something to eat and um you know it's it's amazing how that has opened up a whole new venue because we sit in the circles and recover i'm Neal. i'm an alcoholic codependent poetic not true paul never identifies a believer by their flesh pattern Mm. yeah Oh, I love
3: that—that that we're not identified even with our behavior. That we are; our identity is a new creation, and we are new people in Him, and mm-hmm. just living. It in
1: isn't that. what you—it isn't what you do that determines who you are. Ha-ha, it's who you that. are that determines what you do.
0: Oh, it's so great, Neil. I just want to it 's so great, I, I want people to get this book because we believe in overcoming the negative thoughts, and you have to do it by having positive ones you 've listed so many it starts on page forty three in Christ, I am accepted I am god 's child I am christ 's friend, I have been justified, I am united with the Lord and one with him in spirit. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. Every one of these has a scriptural reference all the way through Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are the mantras we need to be telling ourselves. That's what we need to have written on our walls. That's what we need to be seeing in our lives every single day to overcome those and to remind ourselves we are a new creation we are not our old self we're not our behavior i, I love this it's fantastic
1: <laughs> well but why don't we know that yeah i mean you know, why is that new to all of our bible believing churches out there i mean you know i just still am kind of dumbfounded by where have we been why haven't we believed the gospel and and you know there's there's certain kind of interesting theological issues I, there was a guy who wrote a horrible article about me and and uh, somehow we connected a little later, and somebody handed him that list. Now, he's supposed to be this really good Bible teacher. I mean, the, the chairman of his board, but the guy had no pastoral skills at all. And uh, they tried to go around him and hire a pastoral staff member in the end of firing him. And, and, uh, and so we talked on the phone, and I said, why don't you tell people? I mean, you, you claim you believe the Bible. Why don't you tell people who they are? Why don't you tell them the truth? Because it would take away their um, their uh, motivation to stop sinning. So you're going to motivate them out of guilt and shame and fear. You, you know, I think we're hung over from yeah. Um, we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. Don't confuse the salvation message to the people who are lost with a message to the church.
3: Yeah, that's like an ultimate bait and switch.
1: That's right. I mean, you know. You know, I'm I'm a Calvinist. You know, I believe in the depravity of man. So do I, actually, to be honest with you. I think we're all depraved. I think we're helpless without Christ. But I'm not depraved anymore.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm a child of God. I Mm -hmm. have the mind of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit within me. My body is a temple of God. Give me a break. Now, you know, people listening, if they heard you read that list, you say, well, this is some kind of a psychological hype. It is not, it is foundational truth Mm -hmm. about who we really are. Now, bring back another point. Get back to your original question. Where are all these thoughts coming from? 1 Timothy 4.1, listen, listen to the, the verse. Listen to Paul's language. The Holy Spirit explicitly says, in latter days, people will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceiving spirits, teachings of demons. That's happening right now all over the world. Yeah. I have counseled hundreds and hundreds of people or hearing voices, condemning thoughts, whatever else, almost across the board. The only minor exception to that is when you're dealing with a, a, a truly a DID ritual mm-hmm. abuse victim or somebody like that that's got a alternate personality. Yeah. Even then, there's going to be a spiritual problem, a big one. But uh, it, it's turned out to be a spiritual battle for the mind, and we've learned to sit down in a quiet, controlled way, never lose control, deal with the person, connect them to God, help them submit to God, resist the devil, walk off free. There's nothing new here, nothing yeah. magical. It's just it's just believing scripture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Was, let me get a, give an illustration, because I know you've been talking about sexual addictions and stuff like that. Here's one that just came into my the picture some months ago. This lady, uh, a dear lady, she she showed up at my conference about three times. You, you couldn't miss her, frankly, because she was quite attractive. And uh, she, after about the third time, uh, something must have broke through for her, because she ended up uh, and became one of our ministry associates. Just a really nice, lovely lady, to be honest with you. I mean, respected in the community and everything. And then tragically, her husband uh, was killed in a bike accident, Ugh. hit by a car, and uh, and it was terrible. And she survived now, but she had to sell her business and uh, and become a single parent and that kind of stuff. And later, I found out she remarried, but she decided to write her memoirs about it. And um wouldn't know if I'd write the forward and this is a real nice lady and uh but when I wrote the forward, what seemed to have started this whole thing is she had an older sister that uh, uh, really kind of gave the family a black eye. We just went off the deep end and it still is and um and that kind of added to her negative self image and whatever else and so I'm writing the forward and i i mentioned the fact I didn't mention the girl's name but she said, you know, maybe we should take that out of there. I said, listen, if you're going to write a true story, tell the truth. Your sister already knows that. I mean, knows that, you know, so at least, sure. you know, if you're going to write a true story, write a true story. Well, she hadn't written the true story
2: mm.
1: because she said she had been coming to the uh, conference because she was depressed. But what actually came out of it, the reason she was depressed was she was struggling with thoughts that she was gay. Mm. And uh, she said, I don't understand it. I love boys. I'm a, I am chase boys. And um, so uh, she went into her pastor at that time, you know, and, and all he said was, oh, that would be horrible. Essentially, not only didn't help her, it's almost affirmed it. Well, maybe you are kind of a right. thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, that,
1: that is a bunch of balarky. That is a spiritual attack on her mind. And about the time we were dialoguing about this, I got a, uh, on Facebook, somebody sent me a note where a guy said, I don't understand it. I got a girlfriend. I love girls, whatever else, but I'm constantly having these nagging thoughts that I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And I responded back. I said, That's not you, brother. That's the enemy. It's true. Now, given where our society has gone, can you see where this Satan can have an absolute field day here? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. These people are just paying attention to a deceiving spirit. And so she's depressed because she thinks, Well, maybe I'm gay. She would believe the lie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, man, I could go on and on. I brought this up uh, a number of times in conferences just to illustrate. I said, here's a mom that comes home with her third baby. Um, her electrolytes are depleted. You know, she's, she's home alone by herself. The other kids are crying, and suddenly she has a thought, kill your baby. And uh, now, who's she going to share that with? Her husband? Right. I mean, I've, I've had thoughts about killing the kids. You know, she can't share that, so she's stuck. And she's wondering, what in the world is
0: wrong with me. And what okay, what a terrible I, mom I am. I've just had this baby, yeah, what a so terrible in- mom. Yep. Yep. yep, all those things. And it's and, a super. Uh, it's it's very common too. That's the the crazy part. It's very. I have a good friend, uh, and his wife was deep into postpartum depression. And they were in a hotel one night, and the baby was crying. And she said, "If you don't shut that kid up, I'm going to throw him out the window." And you know, my friend was in the bathroom, you know, trying to shut the baby, and you know, he's you know kind of terrified, but. These things happen.
1: Well, you know, just about two weeks ago, major ministry, I can't share it. The leader of it heard me and went out and got the tapes for his wife. He said, that's exactly what happened. She, I couldn't believe she had the courage to tell me that, but she was so deeply troubled by that. Here's a, here's a seminary professor's wife. She got cancer, pneumonia, and then they discovered the cancer. Mm. And um, they called me, and she wanted to talk to me alone, and I'd given her that list of who we are. She said, Neil, this has held me together. Mm you know, for the last two years, she said, N- you know, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Now, if you knew this lady, you'd go, oh, man, if you're not a Christian, I'm in deep trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, said, exactly. uh, and uh, I said, why do you think that? Oh, she said, I go to church and I have these blasphemous, condemning thoughts. I said, honey, that's not you. Did you want to think those thoughts? Did you make a conscious choice to think those thoughts? No. Then why do you think they're yours? Well, nobody had ever given her some other explanation of that. Mm. So why is she fearful? Well, if those are her thoughts, how could she have those thoughts and be a Christian?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So she's questioning her salvation. Right. Yeah. She's facing the possibility of dying.
2: Oh my That's why she's afraid. Yeah.
1: When, when we got rid of that thought and told her what it was, I, you know, she never questioned her salvation again. No more fear. And uh, she went through some horrendous treatment, and she lived for two years. Mm. Uh, but all the testimonies at her funeral for the last two years of her life, she became known as the number one person on campus for ladies to go to for prayer and that kind of thing. I could tell you stories from here to midnight. And it's just so sad that this goes on unnoticed. And the average pastor, bless their hearts, don't have a clue what is going on in the mind of their people. Yeah. And all we see is their behavior. As a man thinketh in his heart so he. all we see is the so easy. So guess what we try to change? The behavior. The so That's
2: easy. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't Instead of going
1: back to the foundation and change what it is that you believe.
0: That's right. Neil, let me ask you a question. It came from uh, a letter uh, you received, and it said, the writer asked you, how can I tell if my problems are in my mind, or the result of sin and disobedience against God, or the evidence of a demonic influence? I mean, that's a big question. It's one you're kind of addressing right now. How do we know where these thoughts come from?
1: Well, uh, start simple. First of all, I said, Did you make a conscious choice to think that thought? Did you want to think that thought? Mm. Uh, I mean, ask yourself the question. One of the people I helped came up with a little card, and she pulled it out and said, where did that thought come from? A loving God? (laughs) Learning to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In one sense, I don't care whether the thought came out of that loudspeaker, your radio, uh, your own imagination, your background, or from the pit. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm. And I don't really try to differentiate. When I sit down with another person, we all have flesh patterns. And uh, we struggle with those. We learn to crucify them and grow and mature. and, and But they're always kind of going to be there, you know, making in the in the past. And so I, I don't go around and, l- and look for demons. In fact, I don't, in our own method, we don't even deal with demons. We just deal with the person. We help them submit to God, resist the devil. We have them pray and invite the Lord to uh, lead them into all truth and to show them the truth. And then we walk out. With a peace of mind that passes all understanding that, that they've never had before, mm. I, you know, you know, people out there that are dealing with any kind of recovery ministry, if they only had a clue what was going on in the mind of the people that they're dealing with, I said, why do people take drugs and drink? They have no mental peace. Yeah, they drown it out. That's right. And, I remember uh, hearing that. Only uh... wake up the next morning, you know, you know, a little worse off than they were the day before. I said, you know, those simple of, well. You know, am I the only guy that's dealing with people who are hearing voices and seeing things? Absolutely not. No, of course not. Every psychologist out there, psychiatrist and medical doctor is dealing with people like that, but they don't have our biblical worldview. And so all they're left to say there's got to be some natural explanation for that. So what you have is a chemical imbalance. Mm. I'll just stop there for a second. Think about that. Somebody's come in and said that they have these terrible negative thoughts, condemning thoughts, you're no good, God doesn't love you. And they didn't want to think that thought. And you have a natural explanation for that. What is it? There isn't one. Um, well, I gave them antipsychotic medications and the voices stopped. Well, sure, so did everything else. All you did was narcotize it. And that's the same reason people take drugs and they drink. Mm-hmm. Um, how can my neurotransmitters randomly fire and create a thought that I'm opposed to thinking. There's a natural explanation for that? I'm open. What is it? There isn't one. And so, you know, but if if all you've got is a natural worldview, you have no other choice than to somehow try to explain that on our own human pathology or something. I don't know. Mm. But they don't really try, to be honest with you. They just simply see that as an aberration or something of your brain. And I said, but why is it so hard for us to believe? here's a here's a classic illustration of it a number of times people came to jesus and uh, and he would disclose what was in their heart mm-hmm. and the pharisees saw that and what conclusion did they draw at that time came from the devil he had a demon right that's what they said to jesus mm-hmm. how did you know that they knew at that time that esoteric knowledge like that that knowledge has to come from some supernatural source because there's no way. He didn't know this person. He didn't know their background. So where's that coming from? Well, the assumption at that time, and, and Jesus didn't counter that. He just revealed that, you know, he knew where his information was coming from. But, but obviously in the culture at that time, that was their understanding. Now, when I get out of our Western worldview, out of our, you know, Canada, the United States, Western Europe by and large, and I go to other countries, and I explain this to them, trust me, they have a different worldview. <laughs> I, sure. I don't have to explain to them yeah. the reality of the spiritual world. Yeah. It's sure. only here in our West. Now, it's here, too. It's in you know, the, all these new age and spiritist-type churches where yeah. people are practicing to become mediums, whatever. Yep. What scares me is, is that I just had a call this morning from one of our national board members, who's a, yeah. truly a, a legitimate good Christian counselor, and uh, just loves what we're doing, and uh, she dealt, she's dealing with a gal that that uh, sees a number and comes out and applies it to the Bible, and she's being led astray, and she doesn't even realize it, yeah. and her pastor doesn't, thinks she's a prophetess. Oh my gosh, she, her life is a mess, her husband is separated. I said, that should be a clue in and of itself mm-hmm. that God mm-hmm. is not going to work through somebody who's really, in, on a personal level, dysfunctional right now. yeah. That's crazy. It is, and yet here's a pastor believing it. Mm. Amazing.
0: So, Neil, do you believe in chemical imbalances? Do you believe, uh, you know, is, is there a, is there ever a situation where you think medication is, uh, oh, absolutely, the right thing? a book
1: on depression, I talk clearly about that. I, I you know, define the agony of the body and the agony of the soul. Depression is a good way to look at that because I personally believe that depression is a body soul spirit problem requires a body soul spirit answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the medical field. My brother has taught medical school for 32 years. My daughter's a nurse. My sister's a nurse. My uncle is a head engineer in the Mayo Clinic. You know, the medical people that I deal with, they're the first to tell the public out there that most of our people are sick for psychosomatic reasons. Yeah. And they know what's over their head. I mean, you know, the medical profession knows this. They don't want to be labeled with a, you got to fix me. I, I can't fix you. Your problem. Is psychosomatic. That's up to the church, in my estimation, to assume that responsibility Mm -hmm. to help people find that mental peace and that freedom. I mean, why are we ignoring this thing? My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives I unto you. We have the Prince of Peace living within us. We have all the tools that we need to get to that point in my life where I have peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And yet we're just... Not bringing it forward,
0: Neil. And, I know, interviewed I... someone earlier today with Laura, and she was having panic attacks—horrible, debilitating panic attacks—and she had been to her doctor over and over again to try to find a "quote unquote" natural uh, cause for this. And finally, after a year, he said, "I think you're dealing with something deeper than, than what I can handle." Uh, he, uh, you know, his the MD finally just said, "You're dealing with something spiritual. This is an internal, you know, problem. We can't fix this with medication." Why do you think more doctors aren't doing that? Is it, is it the God complex? Is it the, if I tell you that, you're never going to come back to me again? Is it losing you know, clients and patients? Why are doctors not you know, saying, hey, listen, I, I could prescribe you some things, and I'll shut off that voice, but I'm going to shut off all your personality, too. I mean, you're going to become a dim bulb compared to the bright, shining star you could be. Why, why are doctors afraid of this?
1: Well, we're all a product of our education, unfortunately. Uh, a dear doctor, Michael Jacobson. Uh, he's in the Air Force as a medical doctor surgeon right now. Mm. We in, we wrote a book together, the Biblical Guide to Alternative Medicine, and, uh, so and
0: I'm, I'm and writing that, was, that down right now. Yeah.
1: Well, it's out of print, unfortunately. We carry some in our office yet, but it's uh, uh, we do have the grid by which you can evaluate medical practices. But the the, the point came up, in, in doing our research, if you went back about. Oh, 30 years. There were two medical schools that would have an elective on spirituality. They happened to be both be Christian, and so they, they offered an elective. Well, it wasn't part of the mainstream course. You had to elect to take it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the time we did a research now, and this is, well, the book's now about 70 years old, but uh, at that time there were 72 schools. I said, well, that's good news. I said, no, it's bad news. It's all Eastern,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all the electives essentially. The number one bo- spoke pushing right now for psychosomatic illnesses in our country Deepak Chopra. Yep. Yep. And, oh. uh, and he's, his whole medical practice, is Ayurveda, it's the earliest form of medicine, it's out of India. He's Hindu, for crying out loud. Yep. And people are buying that. I Absolutely. went to my doctor and I pointed that out. Oh, isn't he wonderful? I said, no. And she looked at me kind of, why are you saying that? I said, well, let me ask you a question, doc. I said, suppose I said, well, any medicine will do as long as it's prescribed. What would you think of that? Well, that's stupid, of course. I said, so any spirituality will do. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> That's how naive we are. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but if your whole medical school practice and internship and everything else, all it looked was at at this as medicine from a natural world view. They have no other choice. That's their whole educational grid. You know, some step out of that, and and uh, and, and begin to look out, Maybe there are other explanations, but. The truth of the matter is, they're almost handcuffed.
2: Mm-hmm. They
1: can't delve into, in, in a public setting like that, into the, uh, the spiritual battles that are going on for people's minds, you know. So mm-hmm. the ones that I know, the doctors, and we've had them on our board, and uh, you know, so I love the medical profession, you sure. know, I, I, nobody is more committed to good medicine than I am. I was actually accepted in medical school and chose this route instead, but it's, uh, that would be my alternative. I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I'm, yeah. I'm all for medicine. But I'm, for the medicine, that's holistic.
0: Sure. That, Neil, that, I just got to ask.
1: Not all reality.
0: I have to ask. You're Pardon? such a fascinating guy. You started off in astro- aerospace. Tell me all the studying and the degrees that you do have, because you've come at this from all angles, and I really do like it.
1: Well, uh, I have a, um, a master's. I have a, I have a double engineering degree, electrical engineering degree. And that's what I, I worked for four years as a aerospace engineer. And, you know, I look back, I'm appreciative of the sciences because of that time in my life and uh, and the discipline of study and, and that kind of thing. But I have a master's in uh, Christian education, a doctorate in education. I have a master's of divinity and a doctorate in ministry. And uh, the primary focus has been on, on, you know, soul care, if you would have it. I mean, I really wanted to know... You know, how is truly Christ the answer? So mm. you're talking, I'm sure, to the only pastor who's written books on chemical addiction, sexual addiction, uh, anger. I just finished a book on anger, Put all, put Away All Anger. It, it's a. I, I was going to rewrite my first book, and then I said, it's co-authored by Rich Miller, who's our United States president right now. And I just said, this looked like a book that was written by two. So I, yeah. I, I said, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and really write a new book, and I really like what, what I came out. It won't be out for about a year yet, but it's called Put Away All Anger. And uh, When it comes out, we to want to have it. you
0: back on at Rebel Parenting. That would be a great one.
1: Oh, let me tell you something. It's pandemic. The number one emotion, this came out of a major study in Asia, actually, but the number one emotion expressed online by far is rage. Yep. Huh. And um, and one study I, I quoted in the book that actually came out about a year ago, and this was before the presidential thing took off and everything mm-hmm. else, but they said anger in this country has doubled in the last year. I said, we're beyond pandemic. I mean, look at the street. Look at the news every night. I mean, That's there's right. just anger everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's just, what are we doing? Well, I mean, and I
3: talk to it, moms all the time in my little small group, and women saying to me, just said yesterday, wow, I never knew how angry I was until I became a mom. And I'm like, okay. And I keep yeah. hearing same, similar veins.
1: Of- you know why? It's because of control. Anger is really very very much related to control. It's like when people think of anger, almost the first thing that comes to their mind is road rage. Yeah. And everybody realizes they get in their car. Now listen to the self-talk. Hurry up, stupid. Come on, the light changed five minutes ago. Who taught you to drive? Yep. Move over, you bully. Why are you following me? I said, you know, in the get book, I my said,
2: tail.
1: <laughs> get, listen to the self-talk. Mm-hmm. I said, And it starts instantly. I said, you leave the relative confinement of your home where you're relatively in control. And um, I said, all of a sudden, you get in your car, and you have no control over the traffic around you. And and so what do you do? <laughs> I quoted one study. It was really kind of funny, to be honest. Some will pound the dash. Some will say something out loud. Three percent will actually bump the other car in the head of us. <sighs> Really? Yeah,
0: I found that in, in South America all the time. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I say, Elon Musk, bring on the self-driving cars. Can you imagine the level of anger that will drop if you don't have to make those decisions any longer? That you know by big data you, the car is making the best possible decision for the quickest possible route, you know, beyond anything we could possibly do. I Bring on those things. <laughs>
1: Gosh. Neil, I, have one. I don't know i that's a trust level for me at this stage yeah. of the game. I said don't. when my computer craps out of me, I said, well, what's to say my car went then?
2: Yeah,
3: yeah you know, the
1: yeah, in my car, yeah. yeah,
3: Neil, I have a question um just for I know I have some friends that their kids are struggling with like nightmares, like night terrors, and they're just wondering. What can we do? What can we do to help those children? What can we say to those parents to possibly support them in this process?
0: That and the negative thoughts. We get so much of that. With I mean, the kids today growing up in our culture, negative thoughts and nightmares are a big issue for parents.
1: <laughs> and once it's homeless, how can it not be? I said, my grandson's in the other room right now. He's playing with an iPad. <laughs> yeah. He's five years old. Um, these kids got smartphones now in the third and fourth grade, and and they, they can be alerted to every disaster in the world around them. Yeah. And, I mean, we're confronting kids with information that was really kind of kept from us when I was a child. I mean, you know, well, when I was a child, we didn't even have television. So it was, um, and to have all that exposure, do they have the maturity to handle all that information? The answer is probably not. And
3: I don't either. Well, we,
1: have age, yeah. we have age-graded steps that they help kids bring resolution to this. And... um and and I try to shove that decision-making down as far as we can go, down to about age three or so. Uh, but, but, but kids will accept that. They're more ready to receive what I'm saying. And we also have, uh, in our basic course that we offer churches, we have, and this was done with Youth for Christ in England. They came to us and said, we want to do your basic course, exposing this battle for your mind, who we are in Christ, and talking about emotions and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. And um, what we found out was, was the youth pastors who were presenting this to the youth groups mm-hmm. who were most benefited. But um, there's also the problem when you go to bed at night, you, uh-huh. you, uh, you're losing control. I mean, if you, don't, if you won't give up control, you can't go to sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And so the mind is allowed to randomly access whatever's there. Uh, so chances are if you have a normal dream, it, you know, think about yourself for a second. You know, you had a dream last night. It's just worked on stored information. Uh, it'll be people you knew in the past and whatever else. It's allowed to kind of randomly access that. But when you have images coming at you, that you've never seen before, that are scary and dark and frightening and whatever else, that probably is coming from an outside source.
2: Mm.
1: Now, if you watched a horror movie and had a nightmare that night, chances are it's just what you put in. It's probably working with that stored data. But if that data's never been stored there, you've never seen those images before, and it's coming from another source. Mm. Almost across the board, I mean, actually, I can't think one exception to this day. People have reported to me that they're having nighttime terrors and dreams and that kind of stuff. When they go through our steps to freedom, it stops. Um, So, you know, I'm not trying to promote me or my steps or anything else. What, what I am trying to say is the peace of God that will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Uh, I said, we got to get back to who the real wonderful counselor is. My wife right now is dying with agitated dementia. I
0: know.
1: And, and, uh, and I visit her three times every day. I've been doing this now for two years. We are a little book about it called The Power of Presence what my presence means to my wife and what God's presence means to me during this time. But I'm See. hearing people in the other room, help me, help me. And they one, there's nothing wrong. What's really wrong then? These are vulnerable people, like yeah. little children.
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: And boy, the dirty devil will take advantage of that. But there's actually a deeper thing there. There's a sense of abandonment. Mm. Some of these poor people are just dropped off and put in these places and nobody visits them. You know, and I'm I I go there just because the only thing that brightens my wife's day is when I walk through that door. That's why I'm there. But I'm also there as her spiritual protection, her ability to fight that kind of thing. And the kind of ministry I've had, you can expect a little opposition. Yeah. And uh and we've obviously had it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh learning how to fight, how to stand, how to stand firm and uh and so I'm part of her spiritual protection. And she's a very discerning person. She'll tell me, I need prayer right now. And, and she'll know. So, I mean, uh, I also don't know enough to commit that room to the Lord and her in it and pray for hedge protection around it at night. And so she's protected. Let me, let me, I just had a major thing with a major ministry. I mean, it's got people all over the world. And I met with all the leaders for a day and a half. And I asked them this question. How many here have woken up at a precise time of night, like three o'clock in the morning? Now, if I ask that in a general church, uh, no less than a third of the people raise their hand. Sure. I'm, I'm talking precise time. You know, if it happens at 2:30, 4, you know, hey, you know, you know, you take a Pepto or close the door slammed or something like that. But if it's happened, say, regularly at precise time, there's something else then going on. Now, I can't prove this to anybody else, but I had. Some people I helped get out of hardcore, true hardcore Satanism, and they said, oh, that's prime time you've been targeted. I said, let me ask the next question. How many have woken up precisely? Uh, Probably 3 o'clock. But you felt a tremendous pressure on your chest or something almost like grabbing your throat, and you tried to say something, and you couldn't. And again, in that group, everybody raised their hand. I said, that is a direct spiritual attack. You can read a very similar account to that. In uh, Job chapter 4, when it says an angel, it wasn't the angel of the Lord, an angel came and, and brought a night terror to him. And I said, understand scripture, submit to God, resist the devil. I said, the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh. You, you don't combat this physically. And our natural knee-jerk response is when we feel that, we try to move or, and we feel paralyzed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have this almost assumption, this overwhelming power is somehow controlling me right now. I said... The logic of Scripture is clear. Submit to God, resist the devil. Now, you can submit to God internally. You don't have to do a thing. Just acknowledge that. Just turn to God. Just call upon the name of the Lord, inwardly, and you'll be freed up, and all you'd have to say is Jesus. And stop, just like that. That happened to me every night before I started a conference for four straight years. Whoa. Four straight years. And at first, I did the old struggle, you know, and I said, you know, and then after a while I said, wait a minute, you know, something else is going on here. And, I, you know, what, what you get out of this is you really get a picture of God, of the God of this world, of the truth of Scripture, and how precisely true it is. Look at the pornography thing. Mm-hmm. Jesus is tempted. He's, uh, and the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. This wasn't a question of the devil going after Jesus. This was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. Fasted 40 days. Let him out of the wilderness. And the Bible says he was hungry. I fasted the day once I was famished. <laughs> and, uh, totally. and But the point is, and we, what we miss, is that he put him in the most uh, potentially vulnerable position he could. He's on the verge of starving to death, and he's isolated, and mm. he's alone. Yeah. Mm. When are people most vulnerable? When do they sit in front of their computers while the kids are watching them? No, they do it at night, don't they? Yeah. Uh, when they go to hotels... You know, the majority of people renting a room in a hotel will use adult entertainment. And uh, I said, now, what we miss, unfortunately, is in Matthew 4, we're talking about this, in all three temptations, it was the devil tempting him through the same three channels that he tempted Eve. And it's summarized in First John 2 all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. And uh, exact same three channels. And uh, I said, what did he do? He said, well, if you're the son of God, turn this rock into bread.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, this was a real temptation. He's on the verge of starvation. Yeah. Use, use your power to save yourself. That's exactly the same temptation mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Peter had when the Lord looked at him. He set your interest on man, not God. You know, when he said, Jesus, save yourself. He saw where that was coming from. And, uh, but, uh, no, but every word mm-hmm. proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we look at Deuteronomy and as good evangelicals that believe the Bible, we say, What did he quote? What we miss is that he quoted it. Is that he said it. Well, why is that important? Because saints under no obligation to obey your thoughts. Doesn't know them perfectly. Yeah. That's why in oh. the armor on the armor of God we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, there's two words that are translated word rhema and Lagos. Logos, if you're going to describe Jesus, he was the word. That Logos would be appropriate because it's the character. It's the, it's the content of the word, essentially. Rama carries a different application. Same word. There's only one word of God, if you'd have it. But the implication there is spoken. So if you're going to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, essentially it's speaking the word of God. Um, why? Because Satan's has no obligation to obey your thoughts. Now, the good news is, you're struggling, you're isolated, you're alone, and all of a sudden these temptations come. You don't have to feel like a fool in front of other people to verbally say, get out of your Satan. I submit myself to God, and I command Satan to leave my presence. But I would say, do it verbally. Learning that myself was such a victory for me as I traveled around the world in hotels. But I walk into every room that I rent, and I have a right to be here. I'm under the laws of this land, and I... I would say, I renounce anything that's gone on in this room that can please you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. I command Satan to leave this place, and dear Lord, please put ahead your protection around this room. I do that, or I don't sleep very well on the road. And I've learned to do that wherever I go. I've been in my wife's room. And uh, and that's our spiritual protection, mm-hmm. is just to come under God's governing authority.
0: Neil, this has been such an amazing broadcast. We're going to put this into two days because it's so much great information. i I got to say... Hearing the story of your wife, I know what she's going through. I knew it beforehand, but to hear you talk about it brought tears to all of our eyes. And it does paint a picture that we are uh, protectors of those around us. As a husband, I should be protecting Laura and my kids. As a mom, she's protecting and a wife protecting me and our kids. And to see that picture of you doing it is so beautiful. We appreciate you coming on. We can't wait to have you back again. Uh, It's such great stuff. Thanks for being here.
3: God bless. God bless you, Neil. Thank you.
0: Hey, Rebels. I hope you enjoyed this program as much as Laura and I have. You know, we have put some of these identity statements right up in our bedroom. We've got uh, sliding doors over our closet that are mirrors. And I took dry erase markers and I put up a lot of those identity statements about who we are in Christ because we want that to be the first thing we see when we wake up and the last thing we see before we go to sleep to instill who we are in Jesus Christ in us at all times. It really will make a difference in your life. You can do that in your kids' lives, too. You can do it in their bathroom, on their doors, too, if you want to. Just think about how to instill the identity of Christ into your children and into your spouse. Do it in your spouse's bathroom. Put up statements about how much you love them, how much you care about them, who they are also in Christ. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We really do love you guys. Sign up for the newsletter and the text alerts by texting the word rebel to 444-999. And once again, catch me on Facebook live every Monday and Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash J Ryan Dobson. God bless. I'll see you next week.